live from Austin, Texas, the music capital of the world, this is the Cap Mac Podcast for March 2016. This month, join Tommy Craig, John Purvis, and Jim Wynn in a lively roundtable discussion of that twisted constitutional legal case, FBI versus Apple. Trying to strike a delicate balance between privacy, public safety, and politics. All this and more this month on the Cap Mac Podcast. As this is being recorded before the Board of Directors meeting, the Judiciary Committee hearings are just now concluding. We don't have all the facts yet, but again, that's never stopped us from having an opinion. A couple of hours ago, Apple and the FBI faced off in a congressional hearing about encryption. And now, CapMac members sound off. The, the security of data, you know, the security of the user's data and the integrity of that is something that is of just like utmost importance to Apple. And I think they realize that. And I think that uh, Apple is not going to do anything to compromise that in the future. Uh, yeah, I think that Apple stand is 100% correct. Um, encryption is very important. And I think one of the things that, it's almost a shame that we call the iPhone a phone because people don't ever think about that it's, it's not a phone. It's not just your contacts list. Most people have their life in their phone, their banking information, their, um, Doc, uh, you know, medical information, on and on and on. So if you don't protect that data, it's probably more damaging than going in people's safety deposit boxes or something. Yeah, important with the release of iOS 8 was that highly encrypted core that enabled Apple to store information on the iPhone without it being able to be decrypted at all if if at all easily. Uh, being able to breach that I think is going to be a significant detriment to Apple because that aspect of the iPhone is part of what makes it a high seller in many areas of this country as well as other countries. The fact that people can use it day to day, store all their private information as Tommy said, and be confident that it will stay private. Apple Pay depends on that secure enclave on the phone to store your financial information, your credit cards, and to provide basically the lock that enables those transactions to remain secure. Do you think that this is going to be a, a major issue if the FBI says, hey, you got to unlock this? Do all of a sudden Apple Pay users feel less secure? I think that that would absolutely be the case. So I think it's you know, I, I think it's very likely that Apple you know will will maintain you know the the security that, that they have set out to uh, you know employ that uh, you know that is just so important. And I think that may be one reason that you know com competing systems uh, haven't uh, haven't caught on to the degree that Apple Pay has because Apple is trusted as being secure. And I think I don't think they're going to do anything to uh, reduce that level of trust. Yeah, the whole idea of Apple Pay was to make a more secure 
transaction uh, rather than even more secure than using a credit card and obviously that would um, would damage that one thing that um, while we're talking about this I think we might want to point out to people is that in iOS 9 of course Apple started trying to get people to go from a four-digit pin code to a six but if you want something even more secure, you can go in and change that to where you have an alphanumeric code of much longer length to make it more secure. Well, and there's an international precedent that could be set if the FBI wins this case. I mean, we're looking and we've talked about what the impact will be on users right now if the U.S. does this. But if the U.S. FBI can force Apple to unlock the phone, they can just as easily be sued in many other countries and be forced to provide the same level of access there to their security forces as if the FBI is wanting. So what then will we, will the impact be to all the worldwide users of iOS? It conceivably, it will negate that whole secure enclave on the phone. And once, you know, there's a back door to, to a system, it's not just good guys that get it. You know, sooner or later, the bad guys will have it too. And then nobody's safe from anything. Today, if you leave the country with your iPhone and then come back into the country, our government... ICE has complete authority over your phone. They can remove it from your possession. They can keep it for weeks. They can make copies of it. They can download it. Do you think that would be a, a risk for people who are traveling internationally, business people, uh, people who might have intellectual property, people who might be involved in humanitarian affairs? Is that the beginning of the slippery slope and this is just further down the slope? I think that would be the, you know, very uh, serious situation, you know, for people. Uh, I don't know how often, you know, people's phones have been have gotten, you know, been uh, you know confiscated and and attempted to be broken into. But you know, with you know, if if they have uh, you know protected their phones, then you know, hopefully the uh, you know the their their information will be protected. And the real issue is, you know, if. Certainly, I think all of us feel like that having, you know, terrorists uh, tracked down and stopped, uh, that's, that's a good thing. But who decides whose phone is suspect or whatever? Um, no, there's no, if, you know, if this happens, there will be no control and anybody's phone could be taken and, and confiscated and, and uh, you know, read the, read the data off of. Well, part of it, too, is if, if this happens, then those who do go outside the U.S. and have an iPhone and feel that they're subject to that level of scrutiny when they come back may very well say they're going to avoid the iPhone. This is a, could have significant impact on iPhone sales because it would be easy for anyone who's concerned about this to use an Android phone which can have software loaded on it from anywhere so you could easily find third-party software that was being produced by 
elements that aren't necessarily having the best interests of this or any other country uh, at, in their parts and have encryption that is at least as good as what's on the iPhone and that would not be able to be broken in by any organization. And, and there's another issue, I think, of, you know, criminals, at least from what I understand and tend to believe, tend to not use the same, uh, they don't use their personal phones all the time to, to conduct illegal things. They use throwaway phones, uh, prepaid phones, and they swap them out when, you know, when um, they think they're being tracked or after they've used them for a month or so. So what good are we really doing by, you know, taking uh, people's phones that aren't used for illegal purposes? That also ignores the factor of BlackBerry. Was not BlackBerry the, the world's most secure phone? Wasn't that the reason why that Barack Obama did not want to have an iPhone? Because it wasn't secure enough? Is BlackBerry getting this kind of pressure? Yeah, you bring up a good point, Michael, because the BlackBerry had a reputation for years as being the most secure phone because of the encrypted communication between the phones and the BlackBerry servers. The ruling that that we're talking about here could easily apply to the BlackBerry and force it to be broken as well. And for years, the BlackBerry was the core of communications for government agencies as well as corporate America. So if we, or if the FBI, goes down this path and has a precedent of breaking into phones, I think it will have a wide-ranging impact on all carriers of all phones, making them all subject to the same level of uh, decryption. i throw a wild card out here. We're sitting here talking about an iPhone. Most of the phone calls, the text messages, everything that came to that phone came over a carrier of some sort. It came over AT&T, Verizon, Sprint, somebody. Where's the NSA in all this? If the NSA is supposedly monitoring this and they're associating the metadata and all of that, we have the sheriff's office in San Bernardino County go that he doesn't think that there's anything viable left on that phone that they don't already have. And wouldn't that information be available to a competent investigator from the FBI? I would certainly think that it would. Um... The only thing that wouldn't be available from carriers and, and, you know, through Echelon or whatever uh, service they're using would be things possibly like listings in the contacts, that sort of thing. Um, But as I understand it, those were able to be gotten for up until, I guess, like October um, so how likely is that there, there's anything really all that new in the phone anyway? Well, and then that brings us to the other point, is that information, if it did exist, was still existing on the phone until the FBI gave the order to have San Bernardino change the PIN, um, the password for the phone, and make it impossible to back that up to the iCloud. Uh, that Apple would have had access to and the FBI would have had access to. So, in effect, 
the way I'm looking at it is, geez, the FBI had their chance, and they blew it by not taking it to calling Apple Care or taking it to the Genius Bar, and now they're now they're looking at Apple to to succeed where they failed. Exactly. Where do we think this is going to shake out? Who's who's going to win? We're sitting here. The arguments are just a couple of hours old. We haven't seen any analysis. As this is being recorded, it's just happened um, before Congress. Jim, do you have any thoughts about where this might be headed? Well, if if Congress could actually you know pass a bill, then that would be one solution. Or uh, you know there there it was a, a court order that Apple is appealing. So you know that could go to the Supreme Court. So I think we'll have this uh, this issue before us for some time. Well, I'm really hopeful that the ruling by the Brooklyn judge yesterday will set up a, a legal precedence and uh, get Apple well on its way to winning this case. Yeah, I read one thing in an article today and the the statement was that case law has established that the All Writs Act, the 1789 legislation cited by the government for forcing Apple to comply, can be used only when an order does not adversely affect the basic interests of the third party or impose an undue burden. Uh, the judicial branch in other cases have also spoken out about this issue, citing that same uh, Writs Act and saying that Apple is standing up for what they should and that the FBI really has no basis for their their legal action. Uh, I think that the only way, as Jim said, is that there is going to have to be legislation, new legal groundwork laid to move forward with this. And I, I fear that it will take one, a very long time to get anything to, and two, we don't have exactly a lot of technical expertise in our government and our legislative uh, area, so who knows what they may end up doing. They're too easily swayed by the lobbyists of both big government and, to an extent, big industry. So it will be questionable what the outcome of any legislation might be. Let's look at Apple's response. Uh, we currently have Tim Cook's complete interview with ABC David Muir um, on the CatMac website, and it's worth a look. Um, how do we feel about how strong a stance Apple should take for individual liberty and privacy in this? Jim, do you have a thought? I think that Apple uh, should stand very firmly uh, on the side of uh, privacy. You know, that's one thing that that. You know, up till now, Apple has uh, you know, been known for the, that's, uh, the, the security and the, the privacy that are inherent in Apple products. And I don't think they're, they're going to you know, be willing at all to compromise that. And I think they've you know, taken a principled stand you know, in, in favor of, of uh, you know, maintaining the integrity of their users' data. Yeah, one of the things that makes the United States different than countries, say, like North um, Korea is the fact of having privacy and expectation of some privacy. And so I think Apple needs to, to stand 
very firm with this, and I, I believe and hope that they will. Well, one of the things that sets the iPhone apart is the fact that it has that encrypted enclave, and that's one of the things that Apple has been promoting, and I think it's right for Tim Cook and Apple to say, we're not doing this because you don't have a legal stand to make us do it. And I think we've seen a very loud support from much of the technical industry supporting Apple's stance on this. Uh, None of them want to have the U.S. government or any government force them to open up their phones without due process. One thing for sure, it's going to be a long and tangled story, and it's just getting started. Cap Mac will bring you the latest next month as we follow up on the FBI versus Apple. Our special guest this month is going to be the developer of Payfinders, Brian Romley, who's coming in early for South by Southwest, and we're thankful he's making a special stop at CapMac. Hey, Capital Mac Users Group, it's Brian Romley. I'm the creator of Payfinders. It's an iOS app that you can find on the App Store. It's the largest Apple Pay map in the world. We're vetting over 6 million locations in North America. Apple Pay is all around you, and I wanted to to develop a product that allows you to find this. So come on out and visit with us at the general meeting March 8th, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. over at Sherlock's Baker Street Pub in Austin, Texas. I will have all sorts of answers for you on how this thing got started, the future of Apple Pay, the future of payments in general, and uh, the dreaded EMV user experience fail with those chip cards out there. We'll also talk about future technology and Apple. I've been following this company and its patents for decades. Looking forward to seeing you folks. Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Cap Mac Podcast. If you're a member of Cap Mac, thanks for supporting us. And if you're not already a member, we certainly hope you'll consider joining at one of our meetings, our SIGs, or online. Cap Mac is one of the oldest and largest Apple users groups in the world. We do lots of good things, and we invite you to check it out on our website at www.capmac.com. The opinions expressed on this program are those of our members and not necessarily those of Capital Macintosh. We hope you'll join us next month for more great Mac news on the Cap Mac Podcast. See you then.